Can you name a book? The Book of Lies. The book that's most changed my life. The books have nothing to say. The most correct of any book on earth. This book is fantastic. This book is going to, you know, scare people. This book is not a bedtime story. This book is out of control. Oh, truck drivers would love this book. You must burn the books, Montag. That's my second favorite book of all time. I'd like to bear my testimony. I know this book is true. You're listening to the Book of Darren. When you listen to a podcast or a radio show often, or you've been a listener for years, you feel like you know the person because you've spent hours listening to them talk. You feel like they are your friend. When I got the opportunity to go on a show that I was a longtime fan of, it was a big deal. It was very exciting to be part of a show that I regularly listened to. No, I'm not talking about the Howard Stern show because he never responded to my emails. I did get to go on the Mysterious Circumstances podcast, though, and it was great. Justin Remmel has been in the podcast game longer than me and you. You might even say he helped build the podcasting bandwagon everyone else jumped on. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Justin Remmel. All right, I want to get started with uh, a quick story. Let's talk about me first. So... I started my show, The Cooper Vortex. I got it out. And, uh, you know, just like every other podcaster, they released their show to no audience. It just goes up. (laughs) And I I put a few episodes up out there. And the audience that I knew I would get, the 37 people who were on the D.B. Cooper forums, (laughs) they started listening to it right away. So that was fine. But then, you know, I'm like 10 episodes in and I was actually really proud of the product I was putting out. I'm like, this is really cool. I want some other people to listen to it. I I have no idea how I would promote a show. So I thought, well, the best way, I guess, would be to go on other shows and tell other people like, hey, my show's dope and I know something about D.B. Cooper. And so I started just reaching out to other podcasts I had listened to that I thought were, were big, cool shows. And one of them was your show. I remember I had listened to, you had done a series on Jesse James that I really liked. Um, I I think the Kurt Cobain one was before I was on the show too, but I can't remember now at this point. Yeah. But I reached out to you and you got back to me right away. And I remember your response. You're like, hey, dude, normally I don't do interview shows, yeah. <laughs> but D.B. Cooper, I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. If it's not good, I'm going to throw the episode away. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, that's totally fair. I'm thankful for the opportunity. <laughs> I was a little um, abrasive, I man. I do apologize <laughs> about that. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I didn't have like any credentials. I was some random dude who had 10 episodes of a podcast when I reached out to you and I was on your show and I had been on your Facebook group, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like really post anything or do anything. And then it was so exciting for me to be on your show (laughs) and listen to it. And of course I listened to it right away. The second it came out, but then just like other people then listened to my show. I mean, you really did give me one of my first, you know, big breaks (laughs) <laughs> if you want to call it that I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or other people heard me I mean more people heard me on your show than had heard 
all of my episodes combined. You know, it was just no comparison. Well, it was easy for me because everybody had always kept asking me to do DB Cooper. And I'm like, I kept telling everybody, I'm like, listen, this is a deep, deep dive. Like this is going to be a three or four part series if I go to do it. I said, but I said, it's been done a lot. So if I'm going to usually with episodes like that, um, I prefer to interview somebody, especially somebody who has way more knowledge than me and can just, you know, just encyclopedia, just snap stuff off. Kind of like Jack the Ripper. I had uh, author MP Priestley on because the dude is a damn expert on on uh, Jack the Ripper. So that's easy for me because I can just fire off questions and I already know everything. So, <laughs> all right, this is going off the rails immediately. Why are people into Jack the Ripper? It's 150 years ago. (laughs) Because of the brutal nature of the crimes and the fact that it's unsolved, basically. Because back then, I mean, yeah, you had that lower section of society that was, you know, vulnerable, preyed upon. But the just the sheer brutality of of those crimes combined with the fact that this person was taunting the police, sending letters and stuff like they hadn't really had anything like that before. So the fact that he was so close to being caught so many times, it's just one of those things that's super appealing, I guess. And like me, like, I love it. Like I I'll watch a couple documentaries, you know, read a couple books or whatever. But when I do, you know, like a deep dive series or something like Jesse James, for instance, that is months of research. Like it takes a long time. And I just didn't, have that in me like I like Jack the Ripper but I wasn't interested in it enough to put that kind of time in just because it's done so much on podcasts and and all that stuff so I just uh it was you know I'm still interested in it and that's why a lot of people are interested in it I guess is just the sheer brutality and it's still unsolved and a lot of factors going on yeah, I guess it's kind of foolish for me to be mocking people who are obsessed with a old case. <laughs> you know, D.B. Cooper is 50 exactly. years old, so but by comparison, it's <laughs> very young. Yeah, well, it was funny because when I joined the, the case breakers, that was one of the huge um, cases that they were covering because we don't just cover like huge, um, well-known cases like behind the scenes every little team is working on our own stuff. So like all of that the media sees or that people see being posted about is always the big stuff. And it's like that same thing, like a big case that people are obsessed with. And they're like, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's like nothing Zodiac. ever new like Zodiac. Yeah. And it's like, that's basically with the expertise of a lot of the people, there's a lot of shit that's getting done that hasn't gotten done before. And it's kind of exciting, but people don't realize there's also all of us are working on separate cases and trying to help each other out with different things and stuff like that. So nobody sees the behind the scenes thing. All they see is a newspaper article where somebody says, yeah, we solved Zodiac. (laughs) And then, of course, all the people come out of the woodwork who are experts and it's like you don't even have a tenth of the information that we have. Like all you have is a three paragraph like article, you know, like there's a lot more into it that we're not allowed to talk about. Because like as of now, like I think it was about a month ago, we had to go under non-disclosure 
about that and db cooper uh because of a network deal like the case breakers and tom colbert signed a network deal with nbc i believe so it's basically a thing none of us could talk about it anymore (laughs) but all i can all i can say is like a lot of the i haven't really got into a lot of the deep information with db cooper and the case breakers and what they found out i mean i know a little bit of it but um my interest was in zodiac and some of the evidence that they found and i'll be honest with you like this spring and summer like people are going to find out like they weren't fucking around when oh sorry if i'm not allowed to cuss by the way oh feel free okay yeah so they're gonna people are gonna find out like next summer man i mean the case breakers weren't screwing around when they said they actually have evidence like it's pretty interesting okay speaking of db cooper and the zodiac Mm-hmm. are they the same person you know that is a theory <laughs> that is a theory i don't want to like this isn't the show i want to be like talking about Cooper all the time but well it was funny because well when you messaged me you're like hey i got this new podcast and i'm like oh man how's how's the cooper vortex going and you're like well i can only talk about the same thing for so long man <laughs> and i'm like trust me i get it i totally understand <laughs> but i mean that's a theory personally i don't think so i don't think so they've case breakers have put out a couple um things on their youtube channel where they've done like big interviews and they actually go a lot more in depth with the db cooper stuff so i've done four episodes of four different suspects that were (laughs) db cooper and the zodiac four right Uh, ed edwards (laughs) jack terrence carol ann stanislaus father oh and frank morris frank morris who escaped yeah. from alcatraz was also the zodiac killer and yeah. Cooper. that would be that would be like the most serendipitous suspect ever you know like dude escapes from alcatraz everybody thinks he's dead and then he's the zodiac though <laughs> you know that'd be exciting <laughs> i had this gentleman on my show uh dr david gold he has a YouTube channel and he's, he's quite the character. He's a professional wrestler and personally knew Frank <laughs> Morris right. and he's just a, a wild man and like a chiropractor. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> but he told me on my show, he was like, yeah, Frank Morris told me he killed 20,000 people. Oh God. And it was just like, it's like, come on, man. Have you thought about the number 20,000? That's a yeah, lot. That's a lot of people. <laughs> I think the the big suspect that, and like I said, I'm not too familiar with the, some of the work that the case breakers did with DB Cooper, but um, in that YouTube video, they do name a couple names, uh, and basically their whole thing was the dude more than likely was involved in some kind of CIA work along with some other stuff. I mean, it's a deep rabbit hole. I'm not gonna lie, and it's there's just so much shit going on and i i was just like all right i mean my mind's kind of blown until it's actually solved solved obviously i like to keep all plausible theories open you know some are more plausible than others but it's pretty weird all right i want to go back to when you started your show Mm -hmm. came out came out 2017 ish late 2016 
Yeah, it was, uh, well, I joined my first network in 2017 and I had been going for about a year. So I had to re-upload all my stuff. Um, my first episode dropped in April of 2016. April 2016. Okay. Yeah. So I want to start before that. I want to start okay. when you just were driving in your car or wherever you were, because I want to know that too. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you had the idea? I think I want to do my own podcast. Uh, it was probably a few months before that, um, right around like February or so of 2016. I was listening to a podcast, which isn't around anymore, but they did an episode. I was at work and uh, basically I work with computers and shit gets boring. So, you know, I'm tired of listening to the same 200 songs over and over again. So I started getting into podcasts and I, I always got into mysterious stuff just because, I mean, unsolved mysteries. I think that's a lot where a lot of us started oh, know, yeah. with anything. Oh, yeah. So I just typed in like, you know, mysteries or whatever. And I found this podcast and they did an episode and I can't even remember who it was on anymore. What was the podcast remember, called? Um, it was called Thinking Sideways. Holy and shit. I yeah, there's Joe from Thinking Sideways. Yeah. He was at and Joe's. Yeah, Joe's a great guy, man. I love him. Uh, I hung out with him for a little bit in uh, a couple of the a couple of the crime cons, um, but I mean, great guy, and I love talking to him. He's he's a joy. I really didn't talk to talk to the other two very much. So I, I, I didn't talk to really to Devin or Steve the other two either. But that was yeah. one of the first podcasts I listened to as well. That's funny, man. Yeah. Well, they, they were always doing good work and they were coming, they were coming out with a lot of stuff that I wasn't familiar with. So I heard, and I hate to say this, you know, like kind of not to bash on them, but they did like a 30 or 40 minute episode on a case and I was really interested in it. So I took the time and started looking into it myself. And I noticed like there was a lot of stuff, you know, that, that was more detailed information. And I'm like, well, I was like, if I would have known this, or if I would have known about that suspect, then maybe, you know, that would have persuaded me, you know, to think differently about the case in general. So, and I mean, even they'll tell you, they're like, hey, we're not going to do like an eight part deep dive series. You know, we're, we keep it under an hour, no matter what the case is. And they'll, they'll openly admit that. And uh, so basically I was like, I can, I can do this. So I got on Google and just basically typed in how to start a podcast and a couple months later I I dropped my first episode it was horrible like the first couple years I didn't know how to edit so I would sit down with a notepad with all my notes and just do it in one shot because I didn't know how to edit so it was it was rough a couple a lot of them early episodes are pretty pretty raw (laughs) so yeah but that's how that's how it started I just uh you know, I, I figured out, well, it's like, can't be, can't be too hard, you know, and the guy figured out how to get a host site and, you know, picked a, pick some subject matter that I was interested in and had to pick a good name, you know, but having a good name is appealing to some people. It was appealing to me. I was like, I don't want to do anything with the word crime in it because I don't want to be limited, you know, to just topics of crime, because I love getting into all kinds of stuff. So I remember typing in something about like mysterious deaths and 
every article, you know, like on Google, they give you like five, you know, sentences or whatever from the article. So you can kind of preview it. And like almost all of them said mysterious circumstances in it. And I was like, that's a pretty damn good name, actually. Like that leaves me the option to, you know, cover a bunch of stuff. So that's how that went. Mysterious circumstances. It is a good name. What was your original goal for the show? Did you think I'm going to do 10 episodes? I'm going to do 20. I'm going to do this for six months. (laughs) I figured I'd either do it until people hated it enough that they just didn't listen anymore or until I got tired of it. But one of the articles I read uh, when I was looking into how to start a podcast, this this guy was writing an article and he said, don't, he goes, if, if you're going to start a podcast, you have to think of the one topic that you can talk about after you come home from a 12 hour long hard day at work and something that you still love talking about. If you're going to start a podcast, do it on that. So I always, you know, be watching paranormal stuff or mysterious deaths and all that stuff. So I was like, that eh, makes a lot of sense. Cause it, like I said, if I get tired of covering crimes, I can, with, with my branding of the show, I can, I can dip into that paranormal stuff or I can dip into the, the legends and treasures and all that good stuff. So kind of leaves me in it and kind of an advantage, I guess you could say sometimes, cause it's not, I don't limit myself to just one, one genre. When you had those first few episodes come out, I'm sure you told you like, you know, a handful of family members or coworkers like, Hey, you know, check, check this out. (laughs) I got this new show coming out. You know, in my experience, the people who it's most difficult to get to listen are your friends and family. (laughs) So (laughs) truth. So your audience has to come from somewhere else. So when you had those first 10 episodes out, I know you're checking the numbers all the time. Like, oh shit, like 37 people downloaded the show today. Like five times a day, dude. (laughs) Five times a day. I was like, oh man, seven more people. That's awesome. (laughs) You know, the, the, the kicker was though, like when I got my first email, like somebody emailed me and they actually donated like 20 bucks to me to buy a better mic. Cause my mic was like eight bucks and I, you know, I, because people, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell people, you know, it's not, it's not expensive. Like there's not much overhead, you know, granted there's more overhead if you have a website or something like that, but I mean, you got a host site that you have to pay for and then buying your equipment. So I had like an $8 mic and this guy donated me 20 bucks. So I upgraded to a $15 mic. And uh, he also requested an episode. So I was like, that's fair trade, you know, like, that's pretty awesome. So that was like the first time that, and they, this dude was from, uh, from Oregon. I can't remember exactly where in Oregon, but yeah, they, uh, he suggested a case and I thought it was, I was like, I made it. I finally made it. I got an email. Somebody sent me 20 bucks. <laughs> like, this is sweet. But yeah, I mean, I was always checking the numbers. Oh yeah. Those first few comments (laughs) or emails you get are so big. Yeah. When you get that first email from a stranger, (laughs) like, Hey, I listened to the show and you know, whether whether the comment was, uh, I think you were wrong about this, but great show. I like it. It It's just like, yeah. Wow. 
that's amazing. Like, I don't even know this person. And I've since that, since the first few like emails or comments or whatever, I have now made it a point in my life where I'll watch a show or a documentary. I'm like, I'm going to reach out to whoever did this and tell them, Mm -hmm. Hey, I loved this. It was really good. Yeah, exactly, man. And it's that, uh, you know, whether it's constructive criticism or like just telling somebody you appreciate the work they do, because as you know, now, like this is a lot of work, you know, you're recording, you're editing, you're doing basically all the legwork and you're still trying to keep, you know, a family life, a personal life, somewhat of a social life and still stay on a schedule for your show. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of juggling and a lot of time and just knowing that people appreciate it is, is a really great feeling. Oh yeah. It's huge. When did your show start to really get action? When did it start to pick up? When were you like, Oh shit. And like now people are really starting to listen. Probably when I did the first big series and it was when I did the Billy, the kid series, I, th- uh Oh, let me check. Okay. Um, when I did the Billy the Kid series, that was when it really, the numbers just spiked up. And I realized that well, it's not just some of us in America that are fascinated by the Wild West. I had people from Australia and England, and they're like, no, dude, we love this stuff because we never had the Wild West. You know, we didn't have <laughs> any of that. And it's like just the lawlessness and the excitement, everything was new. And uh, when I did that series, that's really when it kicked up a notch. But at the same time, that's when I got people requesting me do more Wild West stuff. And I'm like, listen, like, I love it. I'm super interested in it. Obviously, I've done other Wild West characters and actually did a spinoff podcast just about Wild West outlaws and stuff. And people didn't realize it's like, that's cool, but I have other interests. Like, I'm not just going to sit here and do Wild West characters all the time. So it was it was great that it got me a lot more exposure. But at the same time, it was like kind of frustrating, if that makes sense. Yeah, especially if the thing you're not most into is Wild West Outlaws. Yeah. And I think for people our age, it's definitely not not it. Like, I don't have a bunch of friends mm-hmm. who are like, oh, man, those old John Wayne movies like that's the shit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And like the mysterious part for me personally was that, I mean, like with Billy Kid, that was easy. Like his life is an entire freaking mystery because people can't even tell you where exactly he was born or when he was born for that matter. So, But then you had the factor of did he actually die at Fort Sumner? So like there was always some kind of mystery and even in a lot of those Wild West episodes. So you know, I, after I did like those big series like that, you know, and it'd be wild West, you know, I'd take a break. I was like, well, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do a paranormal episode now. And like, when I do a bunch of crime cases in a row, I just finished up John Dillinger, you know, the three-part series. And, you know, that's the second three-part series I've done. I've put in probably like, I don't know, maybe 10 hours worth of John Dillinger stuff on my feed and it's like okay i gotta do something paranormal now like i gotta because looking into crime especially when it's true crime like real um you know recent crimes dude that shit starts weighing heavy on you after a while 
Like it gets to you, man, because you're constantly researching like the worst parts of humanity and it takes a toll after a while. So like when I'll do a bunch of serious cases or something, that's why I like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to do like a legend, you know, like, you know, an out of place artifact or, or a paranormal episode just to try to lighten the mood a little bit and, you know, get my focus more out there, kind of cheer myself up, I guess. Yeah, speaking of cherry episodes of yours, you did one uh, Baby X in Rupert, Idaho. Yeah, crazy, which, huh? <laughs> which I, I didn't live too far from Rupert. And yeah, I worked in Rupert every once in a while. And what I love so much about that story is that it goes right to Satanism. And oh, yeah. Knowing that area, especially like in the 80s, or early <laughs> 90s, I forget when that was. Oh, like, yeah satanic panic man of course anything that was mysterious or seemed evil right away satan it was satan oh yeah definitely satan satan has he's got his hands in this for sure yeah it couldn't just be a crazy person it has to be satan you know satan did it it's like uh you know maybe this guy just had a few screws loose you know i mean don't get me wrong like the body itself of that of that baby and the fact it was unidentified was, you know, pretty fucked up, you know, but I don't know. It's people just jumped that gun. And then I believe if I remember correctly, after the fact, uh, this kid had moved from that town out West to California, I believe. And he was having some emotional problems or some kind of trauma. And he was seeing a therapist and they put him under uh, hypnosis and he started saying all this shit about like how he saw Satan worshipers and all this shit from the town that he came from and all that. And I was, I was like, man, like, I don't know if this kid's just screwing around, <laughs> you know, like what's going on here. Did you grow up religious? Yeah. I grew up in a, a pretty strict Christian household. I grew up in a, I would say a fairly strict Mormon household. Oh, and shit. there was that, like late eighties, early nineties, satanic panic where mm-hmm. there was like a real threat of Satanism. And yeah. it, it, as a kid, I was fascinated by that. Like I thought, okay, do they really get some power from Satan? Can they communicate with Satan who worships Satan? I don't get this. I don't understand it. Yeah. Like and, what is the point of worshiping Satan? If you're just going to be <laughs> sacrificing kids and animals, like what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> and like, does it have to be secret club? And so even as an adult, I thought about this. And so it's like, okay, I'll just go buy the satanic Bible and read it. And, yeah. That's, and the, how, that's how I am. Yeah. And the very first line in the satanic Bible is to paraphrase. It's basically, you know, if you believe in Satan, you believe in Christianity. And if you believe in Christianity, you would never worship Satan. (laughs) So it's like the whole thing is just to mock Christians. They don't really worship the devil. No, they don't. It's like the, I always tell people like the basic premise of Satanism is basically do whatever makes you feel good, makes you happy. Just don't be a piece of shit to other people. Yes. You know, and it's like, that's, I mean, that's a, very generalized thing there's a lot more to it but generally speaking like that's the basic premise and it's it's funny because i actually got into an argument with a dude of course on facebook about uh 
Satanism and shit because I I've studied traditional witchcraft for like and practiced it for like a decade now. So traditional witchcraft is a lot different than say like Luciferianism or even Wicca for that matter. But I I got into this argument with this freaking little emo kid. I don't know. He had like eyeliner on and shit and you know, the whole collar. And he's just like, if you're sitting here talking shit about Anton LaVey and Satanism, the whole premise of Satanism has just flown over your head. And I'm like, actually, I really don't need a one single entity, one person to write a book to tell me not to be an asshole to other people, to have like somewhat of a moral compass. I was like, you know, kind of like the Bible. And of course the dude fucking literally didn't say anything. I'm like, you're following the direction of one person. <laughs> it's like, who wrote a book? Like, do you really need that for morality? No. <laughs> Most of us have a conscious, you know? Oh, I always find that when you get into an argument about religion with someone, you just say, well, have you read the book? And most of the time, well, no, I haven't. Yeah. Like, I, I've always been just fascinated with religion. I mean, yeah, me too. Because I grew up in it. So I was curious what others were doing. So it's like in uh, the early 2000s, when after 9-11, everyone's talking about the Quran. So I'm like, well, yeah, I got to read that. That's That's about when I read it. Actually, yeah, right around that time, I picked it up and read it too. Yeah, and I yeah. just, like, my takeaway from that is, I'll, I'll tell you, the Bible is a series of stories and parables and lessons. Mm-hmm. The Quran is like an employee handbook. It's, mm-hmm. this is what you do. This is how you live. This is the rule for this. This is the rule for that. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the uh, Bible, too, uh, it I don't know if this is the right word, but a lot of the stories and situations are metaphors. You know, there the sh- you can't you can't sit here and believe like the shit actually happened. You know what I mean? Like it's I think a lot of it is metaphorical. That's just my personal opinion, though. But I mean, you know, you, you fucking read the beginning of it, and I mean, there's like what dudes that are like a few hundred years old, and it's like, listen, all right. I'm into some fantasy. <laughs> I'm into sci-fi, but let's let's be realistic here. Let's be a little logical about that. Oh yeah, I remember a lady telling me as a child in Sunday school that that was because they lived healthier lives back then. So everyone lived to no be fuck, hundreds of years there's old. No, there's no fucking way, man. People were dying of disease like left and right, you know, up until hell 150 years ago. Even the turn of the 19th or the 20th century, the early 1900s, people still had nailed down a lot of things and were just, you know, ravished by disease. Like, yeah, they probably ate cleaner foods, you know, because they didn't have all the preservatives and processed every, you know, food. And you can you can honestly tell a difference when you eat, you know, like a chicken who has been properly fed off of a farm compared to the $8 bag of Tyson chicken with like you know, eight chicken breasts and it. it's like, there's a, you can taste a difference The food tastes so much better, but at the same time, I'm like, no, they might've lived healthier, but no, they, they ain't living to be 300 years old. <laughs> you know? I specifically remember being 11 years old and hearing the story about Noah's Ark for the 47th time at that point in my <laughs> life. And I remember it 
it was like a few weeks after my grandfather took me to the Rose Festival in Portland and all the Navy ships are there so you can see them. And I remember looking at these boats and like, they're just massive, insanely huge, like bigger than I can comprehend at 11. And then going and hearing the Noah's Ark story a few weeks later, and you know, he he built that ship just with his sons. It housed two of every animal on the planet. He built it very (laughs) quickly. And like I had just been somewhere where some guy told me like, yeah, this ship over here, it took 12 years to build this. (laughs) 1000 people. But Noah and his sons built a ship that was bigger. And I remember like that was the first time where I was like, I don't believe that. Like that can't be true. (laughs) Yeah. I used to question everything. And like, I honestly, like, I'm glad I had the parents I did. Like my mom was strictly religious. Don't get me wrong. And like my punishment a lot of times was church. Like if I got in trouble, I would be going to church, uh, you know, and, you know, pray for my sins and this, that, and the other. But I also had my mom, on the other hand, was also very cool about us being curious and being open minded and, you know, wanting to learn about all kinds of other stuff. So when I got out of Christianity, um, it started getting into like traditional witchcraft and shit like she wasn't happy about it. But at the same time, she still appreciated the fact that, you know, she raised a bunch of unique kids who are, in fact, curious and want to know more about other stuff. So I kind of got the best of both worlds there a little bit. Speaking of wanting to know about other stuff, what the hell is this witchcraft you're practicing? (laughs) Uh, Traditional witchcraft is um, used to be known as the old religion, and it was basically Before it even had a name, it was what people were practicing. And basically, it's the fundamentals of like, say, say when you're praying, um, you're focusing all your mind power and all your energy on a specific intent, you know, but you're also asking somebody else to do it for you. You know, you're praying to God to make this happen. So you know, like spell casting and stuff like that, or working with herbs or anything like not even spell casting, just, you know, when you go out and you pay your tributes, cause I'm more of a, a full moon person. Like I do a lot of my stuff at a full moon because it's the, it's the basic premise of nature. Like nature has literally given you everything you need to survive. So don't screw around with mother earth, like pay your, you know, be respectful of mother earth. The moon literally controls the tides of the ocean, you know, and controls a lot of, a lot of that stuff. And it's all intertwined, I guess you could say the same thing with the sun, you know, the sun provides that vitamin D and it actually, you know, helps people feel better and happier sometimes when you're out in the sun and you're getting that vitamin D. So, I mean, it's the basic premise of nature, you know, you worship nature because, you know, Mother Earth has been here for a very long time and it's going to be here after we're gone. So what's Thanksgiving like with your super religious parents where they're like, oh, yeah, and this is our daughter, Ashley, and she's still heavily involved in church. And here's our <laughs> son, Justin, who practices witchcraft. <laughs> well, we don't we don't actually talk much about any <laughs> of that kind of stuff. Yeah, we don't we don't do uh, we don't do all that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, before Thanksgiving, you know, before we all eat my family, you know, they'll pray and, and I'll join them. You know, I don't really see anything wrong with that. That's, that's one of the things about Christianity nowadays. Um, and especially like a certain, 
a certain group of people uh, nowadays just make fun of Christians and how stupid they are and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what, like you're being just as judgmental as you're accusing them of being Christians are so horrible because they hate gays or they hate, you know, this person and that person. So I'm going to hate Christians. And it's like, you're literally doing the same thing that you're accusing them of doing, you know, and like, to be perfectly honest with you, as you know, depending on what small church or sect, you know, religious sect you're into, because Christianity is a huge umbrella. Same thing with paganism. Paganism is a huge umbrella term. You know, there's hundreds of tiny little sectors and religions underneath that, or not even religions, but spiritualities and stuff like that. So it's like, you can't just generalize an entire group of people based on the actions of a few assholes, you know, and it's like, you're literally doing the same thing that you're accusing them of doing to other people. So like, I have no problem with, I often find myself defending them because in my family, I've never, there's never been any kind of like discrimination in any church that, you know, my mom would attend or that my sisters attend and, or anything like that. So I guess my point of view might be a little bit different than most people's because, you know, I can only speak on my personal experiences, you know, practicing that religion and, and, you know, being, I was baptized twice as a matter of fact, you know, and it's just, I never understood why people just talk shit. It's like the only, the only people I'll really kind of pick on, not going to lie. It's kind of a, uh, you know, the Scientologists cause they're kind of weird, man. Yeah, that's fair. The whole, uh, the, the volcano <laughs> alien thing. It's, it's, it's yeah. laughable even from the weirdest religious point of view, <laughs> yeah. but dude, I think that was so well said. And, and I, I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, at, at my house, my sister and my brother are both, are both very Mormon still. My parents are, uh, we get along great. If they want to say prayer before a meal, totally cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll pray yeah. with them. I, you know, I'll tell my kids, Hey, you know, fold your arms and bow your head. You know, yep. Cause that's not, it's not something they do at home <laughs> all the time. No, and yeah. I, I found a lot of people who have left, you know, Mormonism, which is my experience. Mm-hmm. They tend to be angry at it. Like, very the oh, people yeah. i've met fuck that like i was lied to my whole life this is bullshit <laughs> and the treat the church treated me badly and i'm a victim blah 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 <laughs> where I, i'm like the exact opposite i'm thankful for my parents i'm thankful for the way i was raised um my experience at church was fantastic most of my friends were people i went to church with um i met my wife through church so that's great too. Um, you know, I I don't believe that Joseph Smith decoded the Book of Mormon with a rock and a hat anymore. Yeah, but- you know that was I always found that because I've I've read a lot into it. You know what I mean? And like I said, I, li- I like just being, you know, knowledgeable on all kinds of different stuff. So that part was the hardest part for me. <laughs> and Dude, I was it- just I was like, so wait a minute, wait a minute, you're telling me that a guy could read these tablets, but he's the only one that could read them. And he's the only one that saw them. And he's basically telling you what they said. And like a bunch of people followed suit, man. Okay. It's way worse for me. So let me tell you about (laughs) Joseph Smith decoding the gold plates from my (laughs) point of view. So the gold plates were in 
reformed Egyptian, which is a language that doesn't exist. Only Joseph mm-hmm. Smith could translate it. Would he have been referring to hieroglyphics? Possibly, but here's where we're getting deep into the weeds because <laughs> in the beginning of the religion, there was no one that could that could decode hieroglyphics. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it was a, a mysterious language. So it was easy to say that this person could do that. But shortly mm-hmm. after that, then the first few people were like, oh, I think this means this, and this means this. You had your so, some early Egyptologists that were able to, to figure that out. But I assumed, not assumed, I was told my entire life that <laughs> Joseph Smith sat there with the golden plates and he, he was figuring it out and wrote it all down. And then Justin... I see this episode of South Park at my friend's house because I would never be allowed to watch it. Oh, I remember that episode, dude. And oh, man. There he is. <laughs> that no was gold rough. plates in the room. <laughs> and he puts his head in a hat with a rock. And and that's how he's and like, and translating like the, whole theme, the golden plates. The whole theme song of that episode was like, dum, da, dum, 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 dum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's and, just like, oh, man. I'm in this room with <laughs> my friend who's not Mormon and his dad, and we're watching this show and they're cracking up and I'm sitting there wide-eyed, like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and his dad looks over to me and he's like, is that really how Joseph Smith was, was able to transcribe the golden plates? And I was like, no, cause they would have been in the room with him. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> blowing my mind because i really was taught my entire life like that's how he did it the the gold plates were there he wasn't using a seer stone in a top hat and so i don't know a few weeks later i i'm at the college and i go to their computer lab and i literally like looked over my shoulder to google that well i would have been using yahoo at the time (laughs) yeah and i'm on yahoo like typing all this in and i was like oh my gosh it the gold plates weren't in the room with him and the church has since now like changed their stands on that but that's uh it's just one of those things where like the story that i was told my whole life was so whitewashed <laughs> and it, it's probably the reason like i'm still super into into mormonism like one of the reasons i started a podcast was because of this other podcast called naked mormonism and oh. it was this guy bryce Blankenagel just breaking the show down. And I was listening and he was driving like an interstate battery truck, I think when the show started and and the show became popular enough that he quit his job and was doing his podcast full time. And I thought if this clown can do a crazy niche show about Mormonism (laughs) and enough people are listening that he could quit his job, like maybe I could make that show about DB Cooper. I mean, I did, I had no, hopes that it would be become my day job i got a family to support oh for sure same here yeah (laughs) i it was that was just my inspiration i can't believe we went off a tirade about mormonism (laughs) (laughs) well that's fun about open conversations you never know where it's going to go sometimes and how 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 did you get obsessed with db cooper though like what was the initial thing there were a few things that happened at the exact same time so i got this book skyjack from my wife that was about D.B. Cooper. We used to live in Woodland, Washington, which is like right outside D.B. Cooper's drop zone. It'd be the closest town 
to where he would have jumped out or landed from jumping out of that plane. So it's just something I was interested in. We went to this bar that doesn't really exist anymore. That used to hold this DB Cooper party every Thanksgiving weekend. Awesome. And so I got that book skyjack and just kind of sat my bookshelf for a while. And I was traveling, I threw up my bag and started reading it. And I was like, damn, there's so much more to this case that I didn't know. And I was on a big reading kick at the time. So I was like, well, Skyjack ends and it says there's this other book that's going to come out. And this book's a few years old now. So I bet that other book's out. So I got on Amazon. That book was out, bought that one. And just, I probably read four or five books. And then I, I started this job where I work completely alone. I inspect cell phone towers. <laughs> and I listen to no joke, 40 to 60 hours a week of podcasts and talk radio. Wow. So I just started putting in the search bar and this is like the early days of podcasting, you know, like 2016, <laughs> 2017. Oh, yeah. And I, I went on there and I just typed in DB Cooper and there was, I don't know, 25 shows that had a DB Cooper episode. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start burning through these things. And they were all exactly the same. It was yep. two or three hosts, uh, wine and crime, and they would spend 20 minutes going over the hijacking. And then they, which I started just fast forwarding through that part because I'd read all these books and I was like, you got that wrong. You got that wrong. That part's not accurate. Um, you're mixing up these two stories. You got that from some other theory. And so I started skipping the rundown of the hijacking and getting right to, they would usually pick like three suspects, go over those three suspects. And then the two or three hosts would decide which one was Cooper and the episode's done in 45 minutes. Yep. yep. And I was just like, that's, that's not what I want at all. I want a long form interview with the motherfuckers who are writing these books about Cooper mm -hmm. with the people who are on the forums arguing all day that I was going on at that point in time, just <laughs> like to see people argue about DB Cooper. And, you know, that coincided with, you know, Hey, Maybe I can make this show that I want to listen to. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'll do 10 episodes about it and then move on with my life and not oh, get yeah. sucked into the D.B. Cooper vortex like everyone talks about that I can't escape from. <laughs> that's, that's how it goes, man. Because I, uh, the same thing with John Dillinger. Like, that's where a lot of my people are always asking me questions because I'm from Indiana and I did that first initial three part series. And, um, like in the midst of that three-part series is when I got hit up by like, you know, a production company involved with like the history channel and shit. And they were like, you know, do you want to be involved in this documentary? We're going to go dig his body up. We're good. We, you know, we got approved for an exhumation. I'm like, well, yeah, sure. So, and then from there it kind of spawned up, but I, I, when I posted my latest part three, where it's just trying to figure out all of the details of his death and what's real what's not what people say is proof he didn't die go through that i posted that part three and i'm not gonna lie when i posted that part three it was like giving birth man i was like oh god I'm done like because there's just so much going on so much research and i read three or four books just on the guy's death and uh trying to go through trying to go through somebody's research who researched his death for 15 years and trying to do that in a timely manner 
you know, and just like a month is hard, man, really, really hard. But at the same time, it was a relief to get it done. But I remember one of the first comments in the Facebook group down, down at the bottom, uh, I think it was Glenn. Uh, he commented something. He's like, man, I loved it. Can't get enough. He's like, you should really do like an episode, a series on the actual Dillinger gang, like the other gang members. And I, I was like, bro, I'm done for a minute. Like <laughs> I got, I got, I already got a few, you know, episodes planned ahead that I want to do. You know, I've already started, you know, reading up on them and stuff. And I was like, maybe, you know, next year in the future or something like that. Cause it took me two years to actually do that series about his death. Cause I did the life and crimes and, and uh, you know, it took me two years to, to do the actual second series. Cause it's just a lot of shit. I want to ask yeah. you a question about doing a written show versus an interview. Do you consider yourself a writer? Absolutely not. Why? <laughs> now I, uh, well, I use bullet point notes when I do, because I, my show is more conversational, as you know. Um, so I, I'm not really scripted. So, I mean, I do have a researcher for Patreon. And I'm always getting on her because she's always trying to write these scripts. You know, and I'm like, I don't read scripts, Lindsay. Like, just put it in bullet points. Trust me, it's going to be the same amount of time. going to be the same thing. Um, it's going to be easier for her, you know. And so that was, that's my whole thing. But like interviews, I don't know. I, I don't mind doing interviews. Like sometimes the editing is hard uh, because depending on how, how familiar somebody is with being interviewed, they're a better speaker. They don't have the filler words, that kind of stuff. Those, those are easy because I don't have to do anything. I just ask a few questions and let them, let them talk, you know, in an engaging conversation. Right. But at That's the same why I time, do this style show. Exactly, dude. It's kind of <laughs> nice. But at the same time, depending on who you're interviewing, it's, you know, they stammer, they stutter a lot. Uh, there was one interview I did not too long ago, and it took me like three days to, to edit oh, an hour and a half long interview. And I, you know, it, nothing against him, but he's just not used to being interviewed. So he would start a sentence and then he would think of something else. And like mid word, he would just like jump to like a whole nother sentence. And I'm like, that is the hardest shit to edit because you got it. You're trying to make it flow. And uh, so I don't know. I guess, you know, they both have their perks, I suppose. Which do you prefer? I, I prefer doing it my way. And I guess that's why I never, I mean, I'd always have uh, listeners who, if they wanted to cover a case and they knew a lot about it, I always, I've literally always invited listeners to come on and be a co-host with me. So like a few of them have still stuck around. My friend Cammy, she co-hosts at least one episode a year with me, you know, and she has a great time and she's great at research. So I kind of prefer just doing my own thing though, because I can control the flow of the, of the project. I can control the flow of the actual show when I'm, when I'm reading and stuff like that. So I guess I would have to say, I prefer that a little bit. Yeah. I've, d I've done interviews where you'll ask someone what you think is a deep question with a long response. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, they got oh, five words. Good. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, could you get a little bit 
you know, more in depth. And it's funny because I re-listened to, I'm still pretty good friends with a dude named Gunnar Limbloom. And I interviewed him uh, last year and he was an enforcer for the Detroit mob. And he, uh, you know, did 14 years in prison and had just recently gotten out. Nicest guy in the world. But it was so funny because everybody is like, dude, you maybe said 20 words that two hour long episode. And I was like, that's the best interviews, though. Like (laughs) he's I ask him a question and he just goes for 20 minutes. And it's like, I'm fine with that. Doesn't bother me a bit. You know, that's the best interview, because if I interview somebody, I want to hear them talk like I don't want to. Because if you've noticed when you're listening to podcasts, um, when you have a podcast host interviewing somebody, but then they repeatedly cut them off. They keep interrupting them. They're talking over them. And it's like, that is the most annoying shit in the world. And it's like, I never wanted to be that way. So I don't mind people talking. Yeah. I, I listen to Adam Carolla quite often um, and good show. It's a funny show. He's a terrible interviewer. He'll have someone <laughs> on and be like, Hey, you know, Justin, uh, tell me about your excellent career in football. Oh, speaking of football, you know, I played pop Warner football when I was a little kid and it's like in, you didn't even let him answer. You just went into a story about yourself playing, playing exactly. football. It's like, we don't care about that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's the joy of it though. I mean, like I said, it, everything has its, has its perks and advantages or disadvantages, but yeah, I mean, you being, you being solo host too, you know, when you're just talking about the case, I'm sure it's easier for you to edit, easier for you to keep the flow of the story going and stuff like that. But like I said, I do like interviews too. So it's kind of mixed bag, I guess. What advice would you give to someone starting a podcast or who hasn't yet? Because everyone should have at least two by this point. But for those who have zero. I was thinking everybody in a pretty much everybody had one by now. But uh, advice wise, I would probably say don't ever take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. That's my biggest thing. It took me a long time to realize that because I would let, and I mean, still I'll get a stupid ass, you know, a bad review. And like, sometimes they bother me, but I've gotten, I got pretty thick skin, always have, but a lot of these newer podcasts coming out, you know, they're doing the same thing I used to do and just blasting them on social media and, you know, which is fine, but definitely don't pay attention to reviews. Just do what you love. Like talk about what you're interested in and just keep that focus. And I think you'll be all right. I, I think that that's probably, I guess the best advice like I can give, like not every, you're not, you can't go into podcasting thinking you're going to get rich in a month, you know? Uh, Oh, I can quit my job. If I start this podcast, dude, the number of podcasts I've seen. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a few friends who do make an insane amount of money on podcasting, but at the same time, you know, one I was actually just talking to before our interview and, you know, a lot of times he's, calling me up and just he's unhappy because he doesn't want to cover this case or that case you know he wants to talk about something else but he's in that genre it doesn't matter and he's 
under contract with a network. So he has to put out, you know, an episode every two weeks, there's no breaks, you know, he can't, he can't just step back for a month or two and kind of chill out and do his own thing. And I mean, yeah, the money is great. He makes phenomenal money and stuff like that, but he straight up says sometimes he's like, man, it's hard. Cause he's like, I just, sometimes I don't love it the way I used to when I was talking about stuff that I am interested in. So I guess like that would be another piece of advice. Like don't go into podcasting thinking you're going to be a millionaire, like go into podcasting because you're interested in a topic or a subject matter, or you and your friend love sitting around talking about this kind of stuff. And you just want to be able to record it and put it out there, you know? So just do it because you, because you want to, and because you like doing it. Well said, Justin, what do you think about the, the medium of just audio? You don't do video. No, I don't. Um, I had a YouTube channel for a little bit. Not really my thing, man. <laughs> you know, not really my thing. I actually, uh, I was actually anonymous for the first couple of years of my podcast. Nobody knew my name, where I was from, what I looked like. And it was nice. Like, it was awesome because, you know, nobody knew who you were. And, you know, I just, I don't know, man. The audio thing is just way easier. There's less to there's less equipment that you need to buy. Um, I don't know. It's just all around easier, I guess. And I mean, I even deleted my YouTube channel when I quit that. Cause I was just, I was like, man, I was like, I'm over here talking about, you know, some kind of criminal case or Terry Hobbs, you know, on a, on a video. And people are just like, man, like what's that scar on your forehead from? And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, did you hear anything that I was talking about? You know, like I just interviewed Terry Hobbs. Like he doesn't do interviews. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's one of those things. So I just got tired of it. It was like, and that, and it's just one more thing to worry about, you know, one more social media or one more fucking platform. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I have the option through my network that I'm on now. If I want to upload my, stuff to to youtube it's it's fairly easy very easy but just not really not really into it man i think that was a bullshit garbage answer and the correct answer is that (laughs) audio is is where it's at i am so (laughs) passionate and i love this medium i love that i can be alone at work walking around a Mm -hmm. cell tower in the middle of a field and then just suddenly burst out laughing or oh, yeah. <laughs> I can, you know, be, be, be learning about the West Memphis three. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, it, that's, that's, that's a very love. good point. I that's can't watch YouTube videos and ride my bike. I can't well, and watch YouTube yeah. and build furniture, but I can and that's, listen. That's to another show. thing too, is like, it's so easy. It's way easier to download uh, just audio off of certain platforms you know, you get on Spotify. Oh, that episode looks good. I'm going to download that, download that. You can't do that with YouTube. Like you have to sit there and have your YouTube open, whether it's on your phone or PC. And I mean, yeah, if you're at home on your PC, yeah, you can probably clean up some shit while listening to it. But I don't know. I mean, I agree with you 110%. Audio is just way easier. It's more convenient. You can do Not anything easier. you want. Stop saying easier. It is. Better. It is. Better. It, yeah, that's true. I will say this, though. There are some podcasters, probably about a handful, 
you know, I can't listen to their fucking podcast. Like they put out good content, but God damn, they they do not have the voice for radio. You know, you, you have a voice for radio. <laughs> I don't think so, but I appreciate that. Oh, I've heard your voice quite a bit. I I enjoy your voice. You have a better voice than me. I would. No, you, you got a great voice. Your voice is all clean. My voice is fucked from like smoking and drinking for 25 years now whatever <laughs> starting to get a little gruff do you like listening to your own shows absolutely not i don't like, listen to my no after editing i it's out there i ain't listening to it i don't edit my shows so that could be the difference but that could be yeah i i enjoy listening to my own shows well i'll i'll, I'll tell i take that back if i'm do, if i do an interview a lot of times I will listen to those just to see how the audio turned out because while I'm editing, yeah, I can level all the audio and stuff like that. But sometimes when it goes onto a platform, uh, the platform, depending on which one it is, they have different audio types and different audio tones um, through speakers or headsets. So sometimes I'll listen and, and make sure everything was kosher. But other than that, yeah. Do you like the sound of your own voice? Absolutely not. I don't see why yeah. not. You've got a good yeah. voice. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think I have a great voice, but like that's what I sound like. I don't mind listening back. But when I hear myself laugh, it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> it makes you cringe. Oh, every time I hear oh, myself man. laugh, it's just like it sounds fake. It sounds gross. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's another thing, too, is the laughing and. You know, I, I hate listening to myself laugh. It's just like a fucking stupid chuckle. And it's like, God, I'm so cringe, man. I'm so cringeworthy. <laughs> it's like, good God. All right. What was the first time that you got a check related to your podcast? Because oh, I know man. you have the answer to that. Yeah. The first time I got a check, like money-wise? Right. And not because your mic was shit. Oh, man. It was probably... Uh, I signed up for, well, the, the original network that recruited me was a blog talk radio network, which was bought out by Spreaker. So blog talk radio network. And this is, this is a funny ass story about how I got on this network. Cause I get this email and it's the secretary of this guy who used to work for ESPN. And it was basically saying, Hey, he wants to talk to you about podcasting and da 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 and maybe joining this network yada 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 all i saw was that he wanted to talk to me about podcasting and that he was from espn formerly so i saw that and it was right after i released my lorenzen wright episode and lorenzen wright was an nba player who died and basically i just broke it all down and uh you know started naming names so I thought they were going to fucking sue me for something. <laughs> so I, I emailed him back. I emailed this lady back and she was, God bless her heart. She didn't see this one coming, you know? And I just told her, I said, Hey, if you, if you guys are going to sue me over my Lorenz and Wright episode, you can kiss my ass and you will get $0 of jack shit, you know? And she literally emailed me back like 10 seconds later. And she was like, laughing my ass off just lmao dude she's like no like we want you to join the network because because we like your podcast and i was like okay so i had my meeting with the vice president of uh 
vice president of whoever the fuck signs up the podcast or whatever. And I'm sitting here talking to him and I'm like, you do realize what you're getting into, right? Like I do what I want. I say what I want. And he goes, dude, there were three of us who sat and listened to 39 episodes in an office. Like we know exactly what you're about and what we're going to get into. I was like, okay. So about two months later, like they taught me how to put the dynamic ad placements in. Um, um, And like two months later, I got my first PayPal drop from blog talk and I think it was, you know, 60 or 70 bucks or something like that. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, it's so cool. But, yeah, it wasn't yeah. about the money at all. It, it really wasn't. It, got yeah. paid <laughs> it was the fact that I was getting paid because as you know, like we had talked about earlier, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And, you know, we still have our day jobs and we still have families. And this is our free time that we could be relaxing and watching our favorite TV shows or, you know, out socializing with friends and we're putting it into research and recording and all that stuff. So it was nice to get compensated for the work that you put in basically. Yeah. It's like people see value in this. This is a real product. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. How proud are you of your show in your library? Oh, I'm pretty proud. There's there's probably about a dozen episodes I wouldn't mind re-recording just because they were early episodes. And, you know, I feel like I could narrate them a lot better. Um, as you know, there's some podcasts that are hard to listen to because they're super informative and super good, but the narration just doesn't flow well. Like the person's just not good at it. So I would definitely like to re-record about a dozen episodes. But other than that, man, I'm pretty happy. I got a nice almost 200 episodes now. And, you know, I've taken a few breaks, you know, for a couple months at a time and stuff like that. But all in all, I'm pretty happy with it. If you could go back and talk to the Justin who was thinking about starting a podcast, what advice would you give him? Promote myself more. Like, even though I was doing something I loved because I loved it and I loved talking about all these topics, uh, you know, I just, I just never promoted myself. Uh, so I would, I think it would have helped out earlier on because of, you know, just getting out there more, but I mean, I didn't even have Facebook until, I don't know, sometime in summer of 2016, all I had was an email address. That was it. So it was a, I would definitely suggest, you know, tell my, tell my younger version to, you know, if I want more, more downloads and more lessons, definitely promote myself more. Cause like when I started, there was not a lot of podcasts in this genre. So watching it blow up over the last almost six years now has been insane. And I see a lot of younger podcasts who have that knowledge and have been given that advice and you'll see them promoting before they even release their first episode. And it's like, that's somebody gave them some good advice. That's the way you should do it. You know, if you want to make an impact right away, how would you promote your show? just more on social media and stuff back in the day. Cause it took me forever to get an Instagram or a Twitter and 
all that shit. I didn't get those two until like 2000, late 2016, early 2017. Um, I probably would have, I probably would have want, I probably would have tried to collaborate with more people as well, because like, as you were saying earlier, you know, that helps like get yourself out there more. So I think that was the most effective thing for my show. Like I tried to, you know, get on Facebook or Twitter and search for anyone talking about DB Cooper. And be like, yeah. Hey, guess what? I'm doing a podcast <laughs> about that. You should listen to it. Yep. And well, it just seemed the, to have no impact. But going the, on the, other shows was really it great helps. for me. Yeah. And, and I loved doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I'll reach out to some newer shows every now and then. Like if they're a lot of their content is like mine, you know, where they cover a, a wide wide base of topics i'll be like hey you know your podcast is kind of like mine you know you want to either do like a promo swap or you know collaborate on an episode and they're like oh yeah that's awesome like nobody's asked us that because we only have like five episodes and it's like i don't give a shit how many episodes you got you got good content like i listened to a couple episodes you got good stuff so you know i think i think that would have helped out a lot early on man Definitely. Yeah. And I think now, especially where, you know, I hate you know, pretending like I'm this old timer in podcasting, but you, you kind you know, of are though, dude, um, like in podcasting, <laughs> in podcasting years, you're in your sixties, bro. Yeah. I've been on <laughs> so many shows that went for 17 yeah. episodes, you know, it was just, yeah. Six months ago, I asked you to come back on and talk about updates on the case and Fucking blew me off, bro. That He's is like, a yeah. total lie. Total <laughs> lie. And no, I think it was it right whenever. when you were moving. I think it was right when like you were getting settled after moving and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, that's fine. Just get a hold of me whenever. No, I think it's that you're a liar because I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. like I need to study for the case. I, that's exactly, dude. That's the best part. That's because I always get interviewed about John Dillinger, and people are always like, hey. Like, I'm going to fire off some questions. Do you want to answer them? And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to do any prep work. <laughs> like, I fucking like shit's embedded in my brain, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you ask me something about D.B. Cooper, that just blows <laughs> my mind. It. So yeah. what? let me ask you this. You were you uh, had mentioned something about the uh, um, case breakers. You had texted me and you're like, hey, are you a member of the case breakers now? And I'm like, yeah. And you said you'll be there soon. Is that like a thing you get? Are you putting in for it or what? Oh, no, no, no I'm definitely not. I've, okay. I don't think Tom Colbert is a big fan of mine. Um, cause oh, I really, yeah, I've been, been critical, a bit critical of Rackstra. And then yeah. I also, you know, maybe this was my bad. I asked him to come on the show. He was like, no, I can't. I'm working on this project and that project. And so I'm, I'm not doing any shows right now. And this was like yeah. 2017, 2018, maybe. Oh, yeah. And then so I was like, okay, well, um, I have this list of all the people who worked on the case with you. I'll just go after them. And I reached out to one of those guys and he was like, oh, hell yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, Let me get back to you. And then I got an email from Colbert saying that I wasn't allowed to poach his people and leave everyone. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll be honest, like I've t- I, I've only talked to Colbert like a few times and it was in relation to me joining because I got asked to join from Jen Colts, who 
me and her did uh, an episode together because she's a private investigator and she's a, a, she teaches forensics and criminal justice at a university, actually in Colorado at American Military University. So me and her had always kept in touch. And she basically asked me one day, she's like, hey, you want to, well, she texted me first. It was the uh, Zodiac thing because I got sent that article and I saw her name on it. And I, I'm just like, Jen, Jen. So I texted her and I'm like, sent her the article. I was like, is there something you want to tell me or what? And she just started laughing. She's like, oh, so much has been going on, dude. And I'm like, <laughs> you want to do an interview on this? And she's like, yeah, you want to do it right now? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm getting ready for work right now. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That we can just hook up this weekend then and do it. So like, I love a lot of the other people involved. Um, and like I said, I can't, I can't say anything about Tom per personally. Cause I don't know him that well. I've only talked to him a few times. And then one of which was when he sent me the non-disclosure agreement because I'm in the media aspect. Uh, one of the few people um, because of the podcast and stuff. So he's like, all right. And he's like, at a certain point, you know, you're not going to be allowed to talk about this, that, and the other, but I will say he is a very busy guy. I will say that he, uh, he has a lot of irons and a lot of fires and he's directing like all the, cause there's 45 of us now, like almost 50. And, uh, we all have our own separate little cases that we work on, but yeah, I can under I can definitely understand your uh, animosity there. <laughs> I don't have I any animosity. That. It's I'm not I'm not a big fan of their Cooper suspect. Yeah. Um, and then you know I've had many people on the show who it's I'm like you know I had the Frank Morris guy on the show. It's not mm -hmm. like I'm not going to have someone on the show if I don't think their theory is valid or whatever. Oh, for sure. It was yeah. just all the opinions, every theory, everything. But just like trying to get them on the show and some of the interactions I've had with them mm -hmm. have just been odd. <laughs> and some yeah, other people in the DB Cooper community, I think, would uh, echo the same thing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like, I love the DB Cooper case, but I also have my other interests that I dive deeper into, just like you, you know? So it's like, I'm kind of in the middle. I just listen to what everybody says about it. And it's like, yeah, you know, sound, sounds interesting. That's cool. <laughs> you know? One case I'm excited. I heard you mention in uh, one of your last episodes, you were going to do the Elizabeth, uh, not Elizabeth, Isabella Stewart yeah. Gardner art museum. Did I get her name right? It's like, yeah, yeah, years. yeah. I, I don't even put that in the beginning actually. And I probably should, I always just call it the Gardner museum heist, but yeah, it's the uh, is Isabella, Stuart Gardner Museum Heist. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that is one I'm really interested in. So yeah, I'm not that's crazy, man. I'm not like a true crime fan. I yeah, I don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, but more like history. Like I told you, one of the yeah. reasons I found your show was that Jesse James series you did, which was great. It was like eight hours long too which it was a lot yeah there's a lot of stuff going on there <laughs> which if you just listen to radio all day like me oh an eight hour series oh fantastic there's my day <laughs> yeah. but like heists like db cooper oh, like isabella stewart garden yeah like that where the idea that somebody planned something so well and executed yeah. it so well 
that they're able to just get away. And all these hundreds of people who want to solve it, who are, who are paid to solve it, who are professionals can't figure it out. Yeah. That's the kind of shit that I really love. I think there's still a five or $10 million reward for, you know, the art's worth more than that. (laughs) Yeah. The art's worth like, I think now it's valued at like anywhere, I think about 500 million, at least 300 million is the lowest number I saw. It's crazy. And that's only 13 pieces. They only stole 13 pieces. It's fucking insane. You know it's in like some sheik's basement where he brings people down. Have you ever heard about the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist? Check this out. Look at these paintings. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And like I looked at the paintings and like, don't get me wrong, I can I can appreciate art to an extent, but like some of those paintings, I'm like, what the fuck is this? How is this worth 40 million dollars? It's literally a picture of like a woman standing next to a man. That's literally all it is. Like, the fuck is that? The old school NFTs. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Okay, but here's my question for you. All right. So I'm into all this heist stuff. You do a lot of different true crime stories. Mm -hmm. My audience for D.B. Cooper is over 90% men. I was in your Facebook group. I don't have Facebook (laughs) anymore, but I was there. Mostly women. Yeah. And I've talked to a few other people who do true crime shows and they usually say it seems to be like 60 to 75% women listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the going percentage. Why, why is that? And why in the heist category, I, I talked to Chris Williamson also who does Amelia Earhart. Oh, and nice. he said the Amelia Earhart community is 90% men. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, I think men just have more appreciation for, you know, mystery or history type stuff, I guess you could say, because I've gotten a lot of, you know, women who, you know, I did a couple episodes from like the 1920s. A couple of women are like, who gives a shit? It's almost a hundred years ago. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still a crazy mystery, you know? And a lot of the dudes in the group or whatever were just, like, hell yeah, this is awesome. But if I, I think my percentage is like, I think last time I checked demographically it was like 68% female. Uh, and then you can check the ages too. So like 68% female that are aged like 30 to 45. So, I mean, I understand how the metrics like work and they help you you know, to try to pinpoint episodes to get more listens and stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm still talking about whatever I want, you know, but, uh, but yeah, the true crime genre in a whole is dominated by women. I never understood it. I don't know. I've, I've asked a lot of people this same question, men and women, because, you know, is DB Cooper a true crime story? I would say well, yes. I would, I would absolutely have to say yes. Right. But um, if you go on the D.B. Cooper forum, there aren't a lot of chicks hanging out. Yeah, no, because they're all well, they're all looking into, you know, the 13 year old girl who got kidnapped two weeks ago. Those are all the people you're going to see interacting there are going to be like 90 percent women. If you go on like a thread, like a even if it's an Instagram thread and, uh, you know, a podcast posts about a current 
missing persons case or something like that, you know, it might be a kid or a person it's 90% like females. And it's, it's like, okay, you loved this, but like, I did a big series on like Jesse James. That dude was criminal as fuck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like just insane criminal. They don't give a shit. They're like, I don't care. That was 150 years ago. What good is it now? It's like, well, you know, still pretty nice to know about this stuff. One thing, it, it's been honestly years since I listened to that. But the one thing I still take away from that series today is dude wanted the fame. Like, oh, he loved it. He oh, was yeah. some of the shit he did was probably for the fame. <laughs> yeah. That's what he I had, took away from that series. He had balls of steel, too, man. He was not scared of anything. Like, he would go rob a train and, uh, yeah, all that good shit. It's yeah, like just, tell him Jesse James was here. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. That's how it went. And like when it comes to like killers, I mean, his brother Frank was way more brutal than Jesse was, but you know, Jesse had that name that sounded good in the papers kind of rolled off the tongue and he was a good looking dude. And just, I don't know, his reputation in the, uh, you know, in the militias and the civil war and shit kind of preceded him too. So a lot of people knew who he was. All right, enough Jesse James talk from you. Uh, I only have a few minutes left with you, so let me ask yeah. you some random ass questions. Yeah, for sure. Bigfoot is Bigfoot real? Oh man, that is a tough one. If I had to say, if I had to choose, I would probably say yeah. All right, now I can hard, uh, disregard hard... every other answer in this interview. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a hard yeah, but I mean, I guess my whole thing with Bigfoot being real. Yeah, we have a little bit of grainy footage and all this shit, but I think it's just more of the untapped places, like the heavily wooded areas that, you know, there could be all kinds of shit back there. I don't know. Here's what I'll say about Bigfoot. So I grew up where Bigfoot lived. Exactly. And I can tell you that there were, there were probably a dozen men in my life growing up that were no nonsense, didn't lie to you, tough ass dudes who told me they had a scary experience in the woods that they believed was Bigfoot. See? (laughs) And these are dudes who I'd say like, oh man, did you see the new alien video on the line? Aliens are bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) But let me tell you about my Bigfoot encounter. Exactly. (laughs) But it's like, these are guys that I looked up to and trusted and then would tell me this story about one time they were hunting and like, no. So I was like, I don't know what to believe, but uh, I kind of, I'm, I'm not into Bigfoot, but it's so interesting that there are these stories from those people who, who are, I'd consider legitimate. Yep. Absolutely. And that's, that's the hard part for me is a lot of the stories of just like you had said, like, dudes who are no bullshit and they're like no nah, man like i saw some shit oh yeah what was your first car uh buick lesaber it was like a i got my license in 1996 and it was a 87 or 88 buick lesaber i think what was the first car that you personally purchased because i assume that was your parents helped took you up with wheels well yeah yeah it was basically my stepdad at the time he was a mechanic so he had a shitload of cars 
and it just whether they were old beaters or whatever, but they still ran good. So uh, I didn't pay anything for it. Um, but uh, first one I paid for myself. Uh, my senior year in high school, I bought a muscle car for like fifteen hundred bucks. What I was it? A, you can't uh, just say muscle car. <laughs> it was a '84 uh, Monte Carlo Supersport, and it had a 400 small block dropped in it. And then I put a three-speed slapstick in it, so thing was fast as fuck. <laughs> That's a cool car. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, dude. <laughs> I bet you wish you had that today. Uh, yeah, I do. That would be pretty sweet. All right, you're stranded on an island, survivor style. You only get to bring one personal or luxury item. What is it? So I'm guessing I couldn't bring a phone, right? No. Because <laughs> um, that's only a flashlight that's good for about a day. That's true. That is true. Personal luxury item. Uh, I don't know. I guess if I'm on a desert island, probably just like a lawn chair. <laughs> you know, some nice, comfortable place to sit. What's the best investment you've ever made? Um, Probably, honestly, probably my podcast. I've invested a lot of time and energy and, you know, a little bit of money here and there when I, when I could. So I still, it's something I still like doing and I still like watching it grow. So I would have to say that. That's a great answer. I like that answer. Thank you. All right. Final question. What's the best nineties sitcom? Oh, all right. Can it be a nineties sitcom that kind of like was eighties that bled into the nineties? Oh, hell yeah. I'll allow that. The rules are a little loosey goosey. Okay. Well, I got to say it's, it's a two way tie, man. Two way. It's two. It's a tie. I got X-Files obviously. Oh, that's a good one. And, um, married with children. I wasn't allowed to watch married with children. Dude, I love that. I still watch reruns. I fucking love it. I should watch that. I've probably seen maybe like 20 minutes of married with children. Oh God. It's so good. If you know, I'll make us, you know, if you turn it on, it's on Hulu right now, all the seasons are, but just start at like season eight. I mean, it's just so freaking hilarious, man. Married with children. I'll check it out. All right, all Justin, right. if people want to give you a hard time or check out your podcast, <laughs> where can people do that? Uh, uh, you can find it anywhere. Just type in mysterious circumstances on Google or your, uh, you know, favorite podcast player. And you can find me on Twitter and pretty much any search engine, just type in mysterious circumstances and you'll be able to find me pretty easily. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. And like I started the show off with, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I mean, being (laughs) on your show, it was exciting. It was the first show that I listened to that I got to appear on. And yeah. it, it put me in, in front of people who wouldn't have listened ever before. Well, it was funny because when you texted me, you're like, hey, I got this new format type interview podcast. You know, do you want to be, you know, one of the first guests on? I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. And you're like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> I, it, like that response was so great because I was like, yeah, dude, I'm pretty pretty fine with all that i like i like doing that stuff so it's like i appreciate you asking me to come on man yeah i hope uh your audience checks this out i'm sure there's people oh, in your facebook group that'll be interested in, oh uh, for sure yeah in hearing about uh what your first car was and your thoughts about mormonism <laughs> that's yeah and like i said not trying to bash mormonism but yeah there were a couple of weird things there you know going on oh yeah like i know <laughs> getting back to mormonism i don't have a problem if someone bashes mormonism and their beliefs but if you say like 
Mormons are shit people. I'm like, okay, now we have yeah, a problem. That's a problem. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. All right, Justin, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, sir. If you haven't listened to Mysterious Circumstances, you're missing out. Go listen to it. It's great. If you are already a fan of his, then make sure you tell him how great he is. Hit Justin up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We've got links to it all in the show notes. Thank you to Justin Remmel for all the entertainment over the years. Thank you to Russell Colbert, who wanted me to give a shout-out to his best friends and mentors, Jay and Stacy. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening. Forget about it. This book is not for you.